This is the Welcome Dads Podcast. Welcome back to the Welcome Dads Podcast. I'm Chris Roselli. I'm Mark Bagley. And I'm Nathan Dwyer. This week, we recommend good spots to get kid-friendly takeout. We discuss family pets. And we interview retired Bellingham Fire Chief Bill Boyd about fire safety. Guys, welcome back. Uh, how was your Thanksgiving? Well, I think like most everyone else, it was very different. We, we usually have 20 people gathered for dinner. And this year we had four, my wife and I and her mom and dad. And my wife took went to great lengths to make sure it was very safe. We wore masks the entire time until we sat down for dinner. We sat on opposite ends of the table and she opened up all the windows uh, in the kitchen and the living room to make sure there was a flow of air. And it wasn't a cold day, but it was chilly. And about halfway through dinner, my mother-in-law says, my gosh, why is it so cold in here? And I said, well, mom, the windows are all open for COVID. Oh, I guess that that explains it. Thanks so much. So we were very careful. Um, Kids didn't come home. It was uh, just a a very quiet um, time, which was strange, but it was fine. I'm going to have to walk back one of my prior comments. Uh, the turkey we had was fantastic. And uh, I know that I uh, boohooed turkey as an entree, but we tried to cut some corners this year. We got uh, Whole Foods, which had a already cooked turkey. You just heated it up for about an hour. And I've wrote it down here. This was a distal turkey ranch turkey from Whole Foods. And man, it was perfect, juicy, uh, lots of sandwiches. And Chris, uh, putting salt and pepper with mayo on a white bread turkey sandwich is a bit of a game changer. So it's- thank you. <laughs> thank you for that recommendation. And as I had mentioned in our last podcast, we just had our family. It was just Amy and I and the kids. Um, that was the first time in our time of being married with the kids that we actually stayed in Bellingham and had a Thanksgiving. And as hard as it was to be away from family, As I expected, it was really special to have us focus just on us. Um, We ate on our china, which I think was our third meal ever eating on our china because we've never had fancy meals at our house. Um, We're always out of town for those kinds of things. And so there were a lot of really great firsts that happened because we were forced to be at home for this Thanksgiving. I want to touch on something else that's kind of become a Thanksgiving tradition for me is the putting up of the outside holiday or Christmas lights on my house. And this year I was able to actually get on the roof on Friday and Saturday and Sunday to put up my lights. And every year I say, I'm not going to go as far crazy as I have in the past. And you guys know I have a fairly steep roof and it's two stories. And every year I'm terrified that I'm going to fall off the roof and end up in the hospital over over the holidays. Well, I did not fall off the roof, but twice when I was making my way down to the gutter, I did fall in, on my rear end uh, on the roof twice, which makes me realize I need to get my roof replaced very, very soon because there's actually no grit left on any of my shingles. <laughs> Number two, you know me, I'm a pretty mild-mannered guy and I don't swear a lot. If you want to hear me swear, having put up Christmas lights, it was absolutely ridiculous and awful. Um, and number three, I want to meet the person who goes into my attic between Christmas and Thanksgiving and tangles up all my lights. Because when I take them off the house and put them in the bag, they're wrapped in very 
neat, perfect circles. And when I pull them out of the bag to put them on, they are a jumbled clump of mess. And I want to talk to that person and have a word with them. So that's uh, kind of how I spent the last couple days of the Thanksgiving break. Uh, the house looks fantastic. But one of these years, it's not going to go as well as it did this year. I think next year we need to mic you up while you put them on and uh, we'll play it on a different feed for the explicit content. Yeah, it would not work well on this podcast at all. It was awful. It was just, I couldn't even believe what was coming out of my mouth. And if there's any local roofing contractors listening, uh, email the show. Mark might be in need of your service. <laughs> I, I can guarantee you that is, that is true. And they'll be able to put a harness up there, uh, those harness hooks, make sure that you don't slip and fall off your roof while you're at it. Yeah, that would be a really, really smart idea. Well, my son had his fifth birthday over the Thanksgiving break. And parents, has this ever happened to you? You get a reasonable amount of nice presents for your son, things that he wants, and a couple Mylar helium balloons. And what do you know, for the last 10 days, all he does is play with the balloons. That's gift giving. Uh, Keep that in mind. Sometimes the simple things work. And one update by way of our contest for making a comment on our Facebook page or emailing the show. Uh, making a comment on the uh, podcast apps. Our loyal listener, Justin, won the coveted and limited edition Whatcom Dad's hat. So we'll be delivering that to Justin here in the near future. Thank you, Justin, for listening. Now a word from our sponsors. Today's podcast is brought to you by Robinson & Cole Attorneys. Robinson & Cole handles all types of injury cases. This includes auto accidents, work accidents and L&I claims, slip and falls, construction site accidents, and wrongful death claims. Robinson & Cole offers a free consultation and case evaluation. If you or someone you know has suffered a personal injury or has been injured on the job, call Robinson & Cole at 360-671-8112. You can also find more information on their website, robinsonandcole.com. That's R-O-B-I-N-S-O-N. A-N-D-K-O-L-E dot com. Robinson and Cole, Northwest Washington's premier injury law firm. Now, for this week's guest. Well, today on the Whatcom Dads podcast, we're joined by Bill Boyd, retired fire chief from the city of Bellingham, who's going to talk to us about fire safety. Bill, thanks so much for joining us. You're very welcome. Glad to be here. So tell us a little bit about your background with the fire department uh, and how long you served as the chief of the city of Bellingham and then what you're doing now. Sure, Nathan. Um, well, as you said, I, I retired fire chief from Bellingham Fire Department and started my career in 1983 uh, as a firefighter, a new firefighter in Bellingham back when Alabama Hill over to Lake Whatcom was only two lanes and uh, came up uh, through the ranks, uh, became a firefighter paramedic, uh, fire captain, EMS captain, paramedic, assistant fire chief, and fire chief. And I spent my last nine years on the, on the job as the fire chief of the fire department from 2003 to 2012. After I left the department, I was offered a, a position as a uh, regional safety coordinator for a large uh, petrochemical cleaning firm out of California. <clears throat> and then I transitioned into a fire department consulting company, Emergency Services Consulting International out of Washington, D.C. 
and I am a project manager for them currently and do organizational assessments, planning, strategic planning, and master planning for fire departments across the United States. So, Bill, I grew up in Southern California, and I, uh, we lived in a canyon, and there were fires around occasionally, but our family never had a fire plan. What kind of advice uh, would you give to families about having some kind of fire preparedness um, plan for, for their house and, and for their family? Number one is everybody in the United States lives in a home, whether it's an apartment or a home, needs to have an internal fire plan on what to do in the, in, the, in the event of a fire and how to escape safely. Specific to, um, uh, you know, doing family fire escape planning, what it looks like is, number one, is making sure everybody understands how to get out, two ways of how to get out of the house. Bedroom windows, um, uh, doorways, what is the quickest and safest way to get out of the house? And then also having a secondary escape. Even more importantly is practicing that. So if you have a bedroom window and it's two stories up and you expect a six or seven-year-old kid to climb out that window, well, then you better practice that, which means you need to have an escape ladder and you need to have a way for that child to physically actually know how to use that ladder, deploy it, and get out that window safely. And a lot of parents talk about that, and they um, uh, they do the coloring books. They say, okay, you know, Charlie, if we have a fire, you're going to go out this window, right? Well, number one is they don't buy the fire ladder to go out the mount to go out the window. And if they do, they have it sitting in the box underneath the window, and they've never pulled it out, and they've never – extended it out the window, and they've never had the kid climb out the ladder to get out, okay? So in a crisis, it doesn't matter whether you're a firefighter, a paramedic, um, in any environment, in a crisis, when you're, when you're in a panic situation or in a crisis situation, you tend to fall back to what you do on a regular basis and what you're familiar with. Do you uh, have any recommendations, whether it be books, websites, or other resources that families could consult in sort of coming up with a fire preparedness plan? Families have insurance, their own um, they have homeowner's insurance. They could certainly go a lot. You can go to their websites of the insurance companies, and they have all kinds of fire safety documentation and um, resources on their websites to uh, provide information to their customers, uh, their subscribers on what to do. Along, along those lines, what are maybe some of the biggest mistakes or um, common mistakes that maybe you would run into in families where they hadn't been as prepared as they could have? I would think one of the, I think one of the biggest, I won't say mistakes, but it's almost naivete, is number one, thinking it can't happen to us. It won't happen to us. It happens to somebody else. Um, and the other, I think the other fallacy or na- naivete having to do with fire safety inside a home is not recognizing how quickly fire spreads, number one. And number two, how insidious smoke is. 
when you're when you're asleep, you lose your sense of smell. And so uh, most fatality fires in homes occur at night when people are asleep. And um, people think that they will wake up, they'll hear an explosion, there'll be a noise, uh, something along those lines that alert them to, to danger. And that is certainly not the case. That's why you have smoke detectors. That's why they're mandated by fire codes. Um, because the smoke detectors are your sense of smell at night when you're asleep and can alert you and hopefully wake you up. The other thing that happens um, when it comes to fire safety is a, um, a misconception that if there is a problem, the fire department will be there within four or five minutes and take care of the problem. That is not the case. Fire departments take a while to respond. Even in urban environments, when somebody calls 911, it takes 30 seconds to a minute to process that call. It takes another few seconds to alert the closest fire station or fire stations to an emergency. It takes the crews that are alerted a minute to a minute and a half to go to their rigs, put on their protective gear, and begin responding to the call. It could take another four to eight minutes for that unit to arrive on scene. And you can quickly determine that we're talking upwards of 10 to 12 minutes for that first unit to arrive and begin sizing up the incident and figuring out what to do and deploying resources and trying to take care of the problem. So Bill, you mentioned um, smoke detectors. We've all heard that we should change the batteries when we change our clocks. Is that overkill or is that about right to change the batteries twice a year? Well, the batteries might, light, might um, last longer, but it's all, about, um, uh, it's all about establishing a routine. If you make something a habit, you do it every time, then, then you've got that additional security that your smoke detector will work. The other thing that a lot of people don't realize is smoke detectors need to be changed out every 10 years. So along those lines, how about carbon monoxide detectors? Do you recommend having those as well? Oh, well, if you have, um, I would say yes, if you're using um, open flame in your home. If you have a house that's all electric, there's no electric heat, you don't use a generator, you don't have any comb internal combustion engine uh, running uh, in proximity to your home, then no, you don't need one. If you have a gas fireplace, a hot water heater, um, those types of things, then yes, you need to have one in your home and, and fire code requires it. The other thing that people don't recognize and it's becoming more of a problem now is these automatic start cars where people have a key fob, they can start their car remotely. And if you have a car that's stored internal in a garage and you have that um, feature or option on your car, you need absolutely to have a, a carbon monoxide alarm in your home because if you inadvertently start your car in the garage and you go to bed, you may not wake up in the morning. Bill, what would you recommend as far as fire extinguishers to have in the home? Uh, probably the best fire extinguishers to have what's called an ABC, a combination, at least a five pounder, even a 10 pounder. I've got one in my uh, kitchen. Uh, inside of inside a uh, my uh, pantry 
and I've got one in my garage. Um, and the reason I have one in my garage, and this is something a lot of people don't realize, is if you have a gas water heater in your garage, you will see that gas fire heater sitting on top of some kind of pedestal up at least a foot or two feet. And that's because gasoline fumes are heavier than air. And gas water heaters have a pilot light on them. And so the, the thought is if the, if the gas fumes are, are down low on the ground, it won't reach the pilot light and ignite. But people routinely do things in their garage that create toxic or flammable vapors. They refill their lawnmowers, their weed eaters. They use paint thinner to strip uh, wood. I mean, there's, you name it goes on in a garage that creates flammable um, vapors. So having a fire extinguisher in the garage is extremely important. So Bill, we're recording this in December and a lot of people are getting their homes decorated, which includes lights and possibly live, or I guess they're dead, Christmas trees. Talk a little bit about fire safety around the holidays and uh, extension cords and keeping your tree watered and things like that. Um, I have not had a live Christmas tree in my home for over 25 years. I did it for the first four or five years after my kids were born uh, because I've seen, um, I've seen the devastation caused by Christmas tree fires. It's like putting a five gallon can of gasoline and spraying it around on your floor and putting a match to it. There's lots of videos online that show what a dry Christmas tree looks like when it starts to ignite inside a home. So anyway, uh, so that's extremely important. If you're gonna use a live, you're gonna have a cut tree in your home. Number one is as soon as you get a home, you cut the bottom inch off the bottom of it. Most of those trees, when you buy them, they've been sitting around for a few days in there. The, the, the base of the tree will seal itself off. The sap will seal itself off and it won't allow water to be drawn up into it. So you wanna cut the bottom inch off and then immediately put it in water and keep it watered for the duration of the holidays. As soon as Christmas is over, get the damn thing out of there and put it in the trash. Put it out there for the Boy Scouts, the local Boy Scouts to come out and get it. Stick some money on there to, in an envelope to, to to fund the Boy Scouts or whatever, but get the tree out of the house. Before you put the lights around the tree, plug the lights in and make sure they all work. Make sure there's no uh, cut wires. Uh, the other thing, obviously, is you don't put candles on Christmas trees. You don't put uh, open flame candles next to pine boughs. Um, you know, use common sense. How, how, how many extension cords are too many? Yeah, um, you, you know, you can have, well, you can have one extension cord, but don't put them in series. You know, don't hook one after the other. You don't want to, you don't want to uh, put, uh, like, you know, the strip, the, the, what do you call them, the surge protector strips. You don't want to put two or more of those together. Um, run them on separate circuits. So what, what, uh, how do you make kids feel? feel comfortable around paramedics and firefighters so that they don't panic in an emergency? What I would say is one of the best things you could do is just take them down to your local fire department. Um, you know, firefighters love to meet with kids. I mean, it's just, they just love that part, right? Um, and so just having, just going down there and have them look through the truck and, and you know, 
play with the equipment and all that, that, you know, that's, that's, that, that's very helpful. The other thing that happens and firefighters are really good about this is they'll put their gear on. And what happens in a fire, and this is born on a lot of tragic history is during a fire, uh, kids will hide because, you know, they know something's really bad's going on. Nobody's coming to get them. They're going to crawl under the bed. They're going to go in a closet. They're going to try to escape. You want to, you want to have the kids comfortable with understanding what, a, what fire is, what the, what the hazards are with that, but actually show them and have them demonstrate the steps that they could take to extract themselves from that hazard, to get out, to get away from that danger. Uh, you know, it's uh, it, when I was a kid, my older brother and I uh, got caught making paper airplanes and lighting them on fire and throwing them off the balcony of the hotel we were staying at uh, while we were on vacation. It was pretty cool as kids thinking about it, of course. But right when we got home, uh, my dad uh took me to the fire station and uh, introduced me to a firefighter who talked to me about playing with matches and, uh, and uh, the risks. And then my dad ended up getting a list of all the different fire houses that had, and, and buildings that had caught on fire in the County. And he drove me around and showed me. And then whether it was true or not, I don't know, but he told me that all of them had been started by kids playing with matches. And, uh, <laughs> well, yeah, but that was a good, <laughs> your old man was smart. <laughs> So that was my dad's way of talking to us and teaching us about uh, the dangers of playing with matches and lighter lighters. What would you say? What, what, what about parents who've got kids who are fascinated with lighters and matches and how they approach it? How should they approach it? That's a natural, uh, it's just a natural human nature thing. Fascinated with fire. It goes way back to the caveman days, right? So I think it, it just has to do with number one, the parents being vigilant and recognizing that that is there. Uh, and then you can't really harness it. All you can do is try to educate. And I don't think it's a, I don't think you have to uh, necessarily scare somebody. I think the, the taking somebody, you know, taking the child down to the fire station, introducing them to the professionals. Um, and that, that carries a um, message of importance of fire safety in itself. When somebody goes down to the fire station and sees this huge red fire apparatus and all the equipment that's used to suppress a fire and having the figures of authority talking about in plain English in, in, in terms that children will understand about the importance of fire safety and avoiding that and not playing with matches, I think that has the... Um, that carries a lot of weight. So, Bill, what are some of the most common injuries you would see that kids suffered when you were a paramedic and a firefighter? I saw some fairly horrific things, unfortunately. Um, so, when, 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 when we talk about children and burn injuries, it's not necessarily fire-related. I went on a call one time with a child who had... Uh, ingested a uh, watch battery. Okay. Uh, the watch battery, uh, you know, with the, the, the saliva in the esophagus caused heat 
it, it made the battery short out or closed the circuit and basically burned a hole in the child's esophagus. Um, so when you're talking about, so let's, let's not talk about fire injuries, let's talk about heat injuries here globally, right? So keeping anything that's potentially electrically energized away from a child is extremely important. The other thing that's extremely important is to keep them away from hot liquids, whether it's putting a baby in a bathtub uh, to um, uh, allowing kids to be around in the kitchen when you're cooking and you're boiling water. Um, those are, and, and those are horrific, horrific injuries. Okay. So, you know, we're not talking just fire safety here. I'm talking about household safety and, so it's, it's keeping the, um, it's keeping pots, keeping the kids out of the kitchen while you're cooking, especially during the holiday season. I think it's important to keep kids away from um, caustic chemicals, making sure that underneath your counter in your kitchen or in your bathrooms, the toilet bowl cleaner, the um, anything that's caught real caustic is locked up. It's out of reach because again, those cause heat injuries or chemical burns but they can be uh, uh, devastating and fatal. And then um, obviously when it comes to fire, just keeping them away from the fireplaces, keeping them away from wood stoves. Um, kids will fall into wood stoves if they don't have screens around them. And again, we're in the, heat, the winter heating season and um, it's important to monitor kids and keep them away from those heat sources. Well, Bill, this has all been really uh, great advice for our listeners. We like to kind of close our interviews with a bit of a lightning round. So, so I'll, I'll go first. What's uh, one piece of advice you would give to parents if they have a child who's thinking about uh, choosing firefighting or being a paramedic as a career? Go for it. Best career I've ever had. It's, it's the most fulfilling career and the best thing from my perspective you could do to help society. Have you ever worked in a fire station that had a Dalmatian? No, but we had a fire cat, Metro, lived for 15 years. In fact, his ashes are still at Station 3. Well, it's, it's, it's well known that cops love donuts. What do firefighters like? Ooh, what do firefighters like for food? Pizza. So I need, I need, I need to know, Bill, is it um, part of the requirement for all firefighters to have a mustache? Uh, actually... It's a serious tradition because back in the day, um, you know, it is it is born on tradition, but it was born on necessity because back in the day before breathing apparatus, the mustache was thought to have helped filter smoke particles from being breathed in. So firefighters back in the early 1900s had these huge mustaches, huge well, Bill, again, we really appreciate your time. This is valuable information for our listeners. Uh, best of luck to you as you continue your work as a consultant, and uh, it's great to catch up tonight. Yeah, same here, guys. It was great. It was a lot of fun. I appreciate it. Thanks, Bill. Well, guys, that was great to hear from former Fire Chief Bill Boyd. Any reaction to uh, what he said or anything you wanted to add? I got to say, I didn't uh, – the whole carbon monoxide – thing i didn't know much about those devices that was really interesting to hear and also about changing your fire uh, smoke alarms every 10 years i just figured as long as you change the batteries everything was good but obviously that's not the case that was really interesting for me 
Yeah, for me, it was, uh, I have a gas water heater in my garage and I have spray painted stuff in my garage. I've used paint thinner in my garage. I've used all sorts of stuff and I didn't think about fumes uh, lighting my pilot light in my gas water heater. So that was certainly something that I thought of. And then I know it's been in the back of my brain. I need to get a fire ladder in my daughter's upstairs bedroom. And uh, that's something after talk, listening to Bill, that's something that I'm definitely going to do. Yeah, we have a fire ladder in our room, but I think that my kids are still a little young to deploy their own, but certainly that's something I'm going to have to put on my list for things to teach them as they get older. Maybe that's like a, when you turn to eight, you get to climb out of your window <laughs> down a ladder, sort of rite of passage at our house. The, the other thing that we've talked about that he didn't go into is having a meeting spot, a dedicated meeting spot for your family, if there's either an emergency or a fire. And so our simple one is just at the uh, neighbor's driveway. And then if something major happens, we've chosen the you know, little playground down the road as our two meeting spots, just for all the kids to know exactly where to find us if there's an emergency. That's a good idea. One other thing I wanted to point out is that the last couple of years, our family has gone to the uh, Bellingham or Whatcom County Safety Fair, which has been held in the uh, Regal Cinemas parking lot there on Barkley. And they bring out all the fire trucks and the Coast Guard boats and the police uh, vehicles and even the local WTA buses. And uh, the kids get a little coloring book and stickers. And so that's usually in June. My guess is it might take a little different look this year, but uh, be on the lookout for that in the future. You know, I also didn't realize that uh, firehouses were open and you could just call and bring your kids down. So I kind of thought Bill was pulling our leg until Mr. Roselli uh, mentioned that the Mr. Roselli took you down to the fire station and uh, gave you a, a dose of reality. It, we were having the time of our lives throwing those paper airplanes off the balcony. It was, it was, it was really fun until the people below us uh, called security and got us in trouble. And another thing at firehouses, and I, I don't know the exact details, but there is a program in Whatcom County where parents can have their car seats checked and it's done at the fire departments. And each time we've gotten a new car seat, as the kids have grown in size, we've uh, taken part in that. And you can go down there and they have a specialist at a couple of local firehouses. I'll try and put a link in the show notes, but they can make sure that you have the right size for your kids and make sure that it fits in your car. And I think the statistic I read was that 85% of car seats are installed improperly. Well, we're certainly lucky to have our firefighters and our EMTs as a resource in our community. Parenting topic time. All right, this week for our parenting topic, we're going to talk about family pets. And uh, I know you guys have had dogs and cats, and so I'm going to lay out a little bit because uh, the extent of our family pets at the Dwyer house right now is three guppy fish and three snails. But uh, as always, I did come up with some resources. I'm going to put them in the show notes. There's a, a book in there, uh, and there's a couple links to some articles. Well, I, a friend of mine once said when I told her that we were getting fish for pets, she said, fish aren't pets. They're just high maintenance decor. And uh, I think she's right. Although, you know, you, you teach your children about responsibility and feeding them and cleaning the tank and things like that. They really don't do a whole lot. Um, so we do have one fish left uh, and a whole bunch of shrimp that have multiplied immensely in the tank. Um, but we have two dogs. We have uh, Zoe and Eddie. And we are currently petless. Uh, actually, we have a cat. <laughs> but <laughs> actually, we have pets. 
It really leaves an impression, that cat, doesn't sorry, it? Sorry to all of our cat listening fans out there. Yeah, maybe this will generate some letters. Actually, see, the, the cat adopted us, showed up one day, meowing, crying terribly. And to get it to be quiet, my wife fed it. And then it kept coming back, and she couldn't figure out why it kept coming back. And I said, well, it's because you fed it. Anyway, so we have a cat that adopted us. But in the past, we've had dogs. Uh, we had a 50-gallon fish tank, so we had a lot of tropical fish. Growing up, I had guinea pigs and hamsters, and so we've I've always been in a pet family. So when you guys got your dogs, maybe I'll use dogs because they might require the most attention and require the most work. Uh, how old were your kids when you got the dog, and how did that factor into your decision? So when we got our first dog, Ben was probably one or two. And then when we got our second dog, he was in kindergarten. And um, so that means Allie was probably four and eight when we got our dogs. And of course it was, oh, please, let's get a dog. We'll take care of him. We'll walk him. We'll feed him. And it never happens. It, it just doesn't, kids don't do that. But, you know, we would never change what we did with dogs. They're great. They become part of the family. Um, they're a lot of work, like you said, Nathan, but it really is a uh, just a wonderful way to teach kids about responsibility, even though they may not do all the work, at least caring for another living thing is something that they never, ever forget. Yeah, and Lexi and Alyssa were nine and seven when we first got Eddie for them. Um, Amy took a little bit of convincing. Actually, she took a lot of convincing to get a dog. And she had really one rule, and that was that we had to have a dog that was uh, hypoallergenic and didn't shed. And we also wanted to make sure that we got rescues. And so we rescued Eddie from a shelter in Yakima and um, the girls were thrilled. And for us, because our kids were older and we've really stuck to the rules of their responsibility, um, Lexi's always been responsible for feeding and bathroom uh, breaks on odd days of the month and even days of the month. Alyssa's responsible for those kinds of things. So as a parent, as a, actually as a responsible pet owner, much of the responsibility for, for Eddie and Zoe has been uh, on the shoulders of the kids, which quite frankly has made it quite nice for Amy and I. But was there anything you guys did before you pulled the trigger and got the pet sort of to test it out? Did you visit neighbors' dogs? Did you, uh, you know, sort of test them on other things to see if this was going to be something that they were going to uh, be able to, to handle and something that was going to become a part of your family that made sense for you? I think in our family, it was really Annette and I pushing it because she and I both grew up with dogs. And so we knew it was a fun thing to do and um, a great activity. You know, and she grew up on a farm. And so they always had three or four or five dogs running around. And we, I was a city boy and only had a, a smaller dog. But because we live out in the county, we wanted to get a, a big dog that would run and just kind of enjoy the, the area around us. So, no, we, the kids never asked as far as I can remember we really wanted to do it as the family it wasn't for them wasn't for us it was for us as a family uh, we grew up with labs and so when we would go visit grandma and grandpa we always had Rosie our black lab there um, good friends of ours in town have two dogs and so kind of everywhere we would go there were always dogs and the girls really loved the dogs and we would we spent a good couple of years kind of teasing the idea and 
explaining to them the importance of responsibility. If we were to ever get a dog, we would go to the Humane Society and walk the dogs and things like that as a way to get them exposed to the dogs. Um, but really, kind of like Mark, it was Amy and I kind of pushing it, and it was a, it was a, a really great surprise for them, and they were super excited to get the dogs. Um, and it was really, again, it took more convincing um, – it, it took more to convince Amy. Uh, when we got Eddie, she had strict rules. No dogs on the couch, no dogs on the bed. Uh, it has to be a shed-free dog. And literally day one, Eddie walked into our house and we're sitting down and I'm ready to start real strict training with Eddie. Eddie can't come up onto the couch and Amy looks right at Eddie and says, it's okay, you can come on up here. And then the next night we're laying in bed and the dog is sitting down on the floor and I'm ready to have these strict rules, no, no dogs on the bed. And what does Amy do? It's okay, you can come on up here. And so of course, all of those kinds of rules have gone out the window. Um, and Amy has thoroughly enjoyed the, the therapeutic benefits of having a snuggly dog when we watch shows at night and, and, and spend time inside. Chris, did you ever take your dogs uh, to any kind of professional training? We didn't. And we, I am a huge believer in not adopting a puppy. <laughs> we were fortunate in that we adopted, both of our dogs that we adopted uh, were older. They were not puppies. And so we didn't have to deal with the potty training stages or the chewing stages. And uh, they already came. They knew how to sit. They knew how to stay already. And we just sort of re- uh, emphasize a lot of those rules and some of those things that they had already learned. And then the girls have had a blast teaching in the variety of tricks like, you know, shake and roll over and things like that. And we've always done puppies. And so we had, we did the training just because we thought it was necessary and um, it, it worked to an extent. We weren't super religious about it and the dogs took advantage of that. But I think Nathan, one of these signs we should uh, maybe dedicate an episode to pet stories. I can share the stories of when our golden retriever uh, brought back a half, half rack of beer a sombrero, and um, a four-wheeler. But we can save that for, for another time. Dogs are, dogs are like all pets. They find a way into your heart. And um, uh, as parents, we really love having them because of the responsibility that they've taught the kids. It's taught our girls to be reliable because you, the, the pets rely entirely their whole survival relies on the girls feeding them and letting them out to go to the bathroom and they've learned the consequences when the dogs have pooped in our house and have peed in our house because the kids have opted to not fulfill their responsibility they've seen those consequences happen and uh, i think it's made them better people it's made them um, better individuals as well I've also heard of people doing fostering for a dog to sort of give it a test run. Um, and so maybe that might be an initial step. I know there's some organizations out there that can uh, facilitate that for people. So in full disclosure, then, aside from the amount of work and the uh, messes in the house, what are some other uh, downsides to having a pet? Sounds like you can overcome them, but just something that if somebody was listening, thinking about it, what would be something you want them to know? I think the first thing you have to realize going in, eyes wide open about how expensive pets can be. Yeah. I mean, not only the food and the little goodies, and if something happens to them, vets are not um, cheap, and they, they can't put a dent in the old pocketbook. And I think you also lose the ability 
for impromptu leaving town. Yeah. Because yeah. someone has to take care of the dog. Cats are a little bit easier. Uh, fish are really easy, but dogs tend to need a little bit more TLC. And so you just can't drop everything and go spend the night somewhere. Yeah. And I think, I, I don't know if it's necessarily a pro or a con, there's benefits and drawbacks to it, but kids learn about death and learn about what that means. And there is a benefit to that. They understand the finality of that. Um, but what is really challenging and hard is anybody who's had to put their beloved pet down is one of the most difficult things to do. Yeah. And I'm glad you brought that up, Chris. I was going to say the same thing too. You know, pets die, whether it's a, a guppy or a goldfish or, or a 120 pound golden retriever. Um, and so that's something you really do need to be ready for. And I think it's a great life lesson for all of us, no matter what age you are. But we got Coda when Ben was in kindergarten and Coda died almost to the end of Ben's senior year of high school. So he had that entire dog, his formative years. And that was, that was sad for him. It was sad for all of us. But I think it hit him really hard that, wow, Coda is no longer here because Coda had always been there. Yeah. When yeah. my daughter's first beta fish died, I was the guy at... 9:45 at PetSmart, showing the employee a picture of the last beta, so we could match it up. And uh, so, Ellen, if you're listening, that first fish that you had was actually two fish. Your dad pulled one over on you. Hey, Dwyer, what was the Bagley? You might have read the book. What was the name of the book? They made it a movie as well. Marley and Me. That Marley and Me. Yeah, yeah. That's actually a great book because it really does highlight the benefits and drawbacks very well. Of of the of of having a dog and the damage that dogs can. And we have so many we have so many puke stains on our carpet in our house, um, and because our kids have left food out, the dogs ate food that they shouldn't have eaten. <laughs> so so one, one last thing, one one more advantage, and on, on a high note with the pets, great um, playmate or companion for your kids, and a great way to get the kids outside. I can't yes. tell you the number of times where you could just tell the pressure inside the house was somewhat, something had to give sending the dog and the kids outside to run around and chase a ball. It was magical, not only to give the parents a little bit of a break, but also to give the kids some physical activity and just kind of bonding time with each other and with, with the dog. So that, that was a huge, huge advantage. I think of having a dog that was willing to play. Yeah, I couldn't, I can't agree with you more than Mark. So I'll close off this discussion with a summary of what I got from some of the materials. Uh, the materials indicate pets can be very effective teachers uh, to our children and can help us open up dialogues about various things such as dying, responsibility. Uh, they also facilitate social interactions and uh, their research shows that children from pet owning homes have better verbal and nonverbal communication skills. Uh, they also note that pets can also help teenagers through an awkward adolescence. What's keeping you from performing at your prime? The Prime Sports Institute in Bellingham exists to help you perform better, stay in your prime longer, and have more fun doing it. The Prime Sports Institute is the first athletic trainer-owned and operated clinic in the country. Experience the treatment the elite and pro athletes are used to. Call today at phone number 360-922-3120 to schedule an appointment, or for more information, visit their website at primebellingham.com. Welcome, Dad's recommend. 
All right. Now on Whatcom Dads Recommend, we're going to talk about our favorite spots to get takeout food that is kid-friendly. And uh, given current restrictions and such, takeout's basically all you can do. Well, I've got two. One is Coconut Kenny's. We've loved Coconut Kenny's. Um, they're all throughout Whatcom County. I think they're also in some of Skagit County. I think they're in Cedarville Woolley as well. They've got different daily specials, but their best special, I think, is on Mondays. All their sandwiches are six ninety nine, and we can feed our whole family for pretty darn cheap uh, with really good food. And the Coconut Kenny's on James Street has a drive through window, which also makes it really easy to access. That was on my list, Chris, and the drive through makes it super easy. Yeah. Um, so what's the go-to Roselli order at Coconut Kenny's for takeout? Uh, well, I love their longboard sandwich with uh, pepperoni sausage and green peppers on it. And what are your kids like? Uh, they will get the uh, pulled pork sandwich, which is really good. What's your go-to? Our family can do a pizza and a couple pulled porks. And so we kind of do, and they do a Kanaka pizza, which has the pulled pork on the pizza. I think uh, growing up, our go-to place for takeout was Zing's Panda Palace uh, in Sunset Square. We just found that of all the Chinese food in town that uh, we liked that one the best. The kids loved the sweet and sour chicken and the broccoli beef minus the broccoli. And uh, Annette and I always uh, ate the broccoli, of course, and then the mushu pork was kind of our go-to. But it's a great place to take out, but also a fun place to eat in. And we did a birthday party there for my son once, just with the family. They have the big round table with the Lazy Susan in the middle, and he had so much fun spinning that Lazy Susan around and have the food come to him. That was pretty great. Um, another thing that works great for our family for takeout is a chain restaurant, but it's Olive Garden and it's not the pasta, but it's the soup. You can get half gallon takeaway containers of soup. And uh, for us, uh, there's a little bit of a division between who likes the Zupa Toscana and who likes the minestrone, but we usually end up with one of each and we can not only get a dinner out of it, but some lunches for the rest of the week and the kids can fill up on that. And sometimes we toss in their amazing breadsticks and salad. Our second choice uh, for our family favorite are one of the many taco trucks in our community. So two of our favorite taco trucks are Aichiwawa, which is off of uh, Iowa, and then also El Tapatio, which is off of Bakerview. We love both of those. Uh, it's affordable. The people who work at both of them are really great, and uh, it's at an affordable price. Our go-to Mexican place out here in Ferndale is uh, Nopal, which is a real small place on portal way inside dining for maybe five or six parties is all mm. uh, of course during covid you can just stop by and grab a burrito uh, burritos are kind of the go-to thing for us there's also a taco truck on the corner of grandview and vista near the old grange hall which is a favorite of the bp workers and there's always a line and i've eaten there a couple times and it's very very good so mm. that might be another one in the north county chris for you guys to check out one day will do and then our family likes Thai food and uh, Juanita Thai downtown on uh, DuPont Street. Uh, we will go uh, Pad Siu and uh, also uh, green curry if it's not too spicy. And then some of their noodle soup. We just get a bunch of things and the kids can share it. 
I must also add for the parents who uh, want to imbibe in some adult beverages, one of the benefits of this whole COVID thing is that there have been cocktails and drinks to go that have been more, more readily available. And Juxt, which is a new restaurant that opened during the pandemic downtown, which is a really difficult time to open, they have a flight of cocktails that you can get if you dine inside. Well, you can actually order that flight of cocktails to go. You can get their cocktails in 32 ounce crowlers if you want. And uh, that's just one place of many that you can get some really delicious cocktails to go uh, after you hit the taco truck. So can we talk about tipping with takeout? Does this ever happen to you? Especially when you're paying cash and maybe it's not necessarily takeout or it's a coffee shop, but they've got the tip jar and you pay, and you get your change, and you're getting ready to give your tip, and then the server turns around to do something while you put the money in, and then you're like, wait, like, I didn't no, I get- I want you to watch me. Yeah. I'm, getting, I'm giving you something here. I didn't get credit for that. Has that ever <laughs> happened? I feel so, like, lost. Like, do I keep my hand in there till they turn back around? Well, then there's that whole, the automatic tipping thing when you pay with a credit card, where it just pops up on the screen, you know, the 15, the 18, the 20% or the other. And, you know, the, the guilt there about which one do you press? As they're, and they are watching you when you're getting ready to press it. Right. There's, there, we need to get an expert on here on tipping because I think we all mean well, but there's some, uh, it's a little bit of a minefield to uh, yeah. navigate sometimes. Uh, this is Whatcom Dads Recommend, and this was recommendations for kids' uh, food. But I also want to mention something that the three of us participated in more recently, and that is uh, World's Best Trivia, which is hosted online locally by uh, Quizmaster Randall. And for you parents out there, on uh, Tuesday nights, he hosts a free trivia game. Uh, look him up on Facebook, World's Best Trivia. But uh, it was a lot of fun. Took your mind off the pandemic. And uh, again, it's free. And there's probably about 100 people or so plus participating on Tuesday nights. So for you parents, uh, maybe date night, Tuesday night trivia. Check that out. Thanks again to our guest, Bill Boyd. And remember, new episodes are released on Friday mornings. Please rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Next week, we will be joined by Anne-Marie Reed, parenting educator at Bellingham Technical College. And let me tell you what, guys, we are going to tackle a doozy with Anne-Marie. We're going to tackle disciplining your children. Uh, we're also going to recommend podcasts or YouTube channels that our kids like to uh, follow. And of course, you can always reach the show at Podcast at gmail.com or on our Facebook page. And if you have a question that you would like us to ask Anne-Marie, send it our way and we'll be sure to add it to the podcast. You guys, it's great to see you. We'll see you all next week. See you next week. Bye. Bye. He just does that so he can be on the outtakes at the end.